This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Should we bow our heads as we start this morning's worship? Thought with a word of prayer. <coughs> Father in heaven, Lord, as we bow our heads this morning, I pray, Lord, that you may speak to each one of our hearts on this most beautiful theme of at the cross. Lord, touch us, move us, shape us, convict us. I pray, Lord, you would speak through me, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do any of you know what it's like to experience being outside of the conversation that's going on in the room. It can be a little bit awkward. When a joke is taking place and you're not part of the joke, it's not funny for you. We have a saying that sometimes you can feel like you are out of the loop. When you're out the loop, it feels frustrating. When you're the odd person out, it's uncomfortable. If you are an outcast, it's lonely. If you are an outsider, nobody, nobody likes to be an outsider. A sermon this morning is entitled, The Outsider. If you turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to look at a verse of Scripture there in our morning study. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, and the theme for today is total saving grace. In Hebrews 13 and verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his blood, what did he do? He suffered without the gate. In order, it says that Jesus might sanctify the people with his blood. The Bible says he suffered without the gate. And we're going to take a look at this verse this morning, step by step, and work our way through it. What does it mean when it says Jesus in order to sanctify us? What does the word sanctification mean? What is sanctification? There is a view that at the cross, Jesus deals only with your forgiveness. Your justification at the cross is all that is needed to qualify you for heaven. This theory or teaching goes on to say that the righteousness God produces in you after that has no saving value. It only gives evidence of your salvation but does not contribute towards it. Sanctification is therefore a fruit of salvation but not a prerequisite for it. Some say... Some say. 
But this does not match with 2 Thessalonians, if you're taking notes, I don't have time to turn there. Chapter 2 and verse 13, where the Bible says, God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Just like in justification, it's our part to believe in God, to choose, to surrender to Him, to confess our sins to Him. It's God's part to forgive us, to count us righteous, and cleanse us from our filthy garments. So, in sanctification, it's our part to choose to obey God, to surrender our weak, fallen natures to Him daily, and it's God's part to count us holy, to dwell within us, to empower us, and give us the ability to obey Him in the areas where He requires obedience. When we look at the word sanctification, it can sometimes seem like a long word. It refers to the work of the Holy Spirit in us from the moment we accept Christ until our last moment. A work in which our lusts are restrained, our faith is increased, and our character begins to more fully reflect the character and beauty of Jesus Christ. This is the work that the Holy Spirit does in us. Now, how does God sanctify His people? The verse that we just read says, through his blood, he sanctifies us, and he suffered without the gate. He suffered without the gate. We are sanctified by the powerful blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, he accomplished two things. Number one, his objective was to pardon and forgive us. Number two, his objective is to cleanse us. So in sanctification, we are to look for the cross. But let me ask you, at the beginning of this year, 2015, 15, sorry, how has the year been with you? How has God's purpose in your life for sanctifying you been in this past year? Ponder the questions, if you would. In the past year, has your faith increased during the year? In the past year, have you overcome some corruptions in your heart? Are you living nearer to Christ now, today, on this Sabbath, than you were the first Sabbath of last year? Do you know more of your Savior? Are you approaching Him more in likeness? Do you have more power in your prayer? Are you more careful in your life? Are you more loving than you used to be? Are you more decisive for what is right, and at the same time, more humble in being decisive? Are you, in all aspects, standing for Jesus Christ as your Savior. How is it with you at the beginning of this year? Whatever you answer to that question, from this day forward, the key is to press on. Now in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12, in Hebrews 13 and verse 12, we read the verse, and it says, Wherefore Jesus, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without or outside the gate. I want us to take a few moments and look at this phrase, outside the gate. Outside the gate. Why did Jesus have to suffer outside the gate? You see, when you look at the Jewish sanctuary in the Old Testament, in particular the sin offering, the high priest offered the sin offering, sorry, when he offered the sin offering, because it was offensive to God, it was burned not on the altar of sacrifice, but it was burned outside the camp to show God's detestation for sin and his determination to put it away from his people and his church. In Leviticus 6 and verse 30, 
the Bible says, and no sin offering, whereof any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of the congregation to reconcile in the holy place, shall be eaten, it shall be burnt with fire. The sin offering was burnt outside the camp, not on the altar inside the courtyard. Now interesting, when Jesus came to this world to be our sin offering, it's interesting how accurately he fulfilled the type in order to be our savior. It's interesting. It's remarkable how providence provided for Jesus to fulfill the type. Had Jesus been killed in Luke chapter 4 when they wanted to kill him, it's likely he may have died within the realms of the city. When you read in John chapter 8, as we referenced yesterday in our sermon, and you read in John chapter 10, as we referenced yesterday in our sermon, when they wanted to kill Jesus, not only was it the wrong time to kill Jesus, it had not yet been three and a half years, it was the wrong place. In John 8, Jesus was inside the city. In John 10, Jesus was inside the city. And, and, and as a sin offering, he had to suffer outside of the gate. Unless Jesus was put to death judicially, it would have been unlikely for him to die on the Mount of Doom, Golgotha. It's remarkable, I think it's quite remarkable, that the Romans chose a place outside the city to do the crucifixion. If I was the Romans and I wanted to put fear in the heart of the Jews for disobeying the Roman Empire, I would put that cross right in the middle of the city where everyone can see it and where the person who's dying dies a slow and painful death in view of everybody. If you go to England, there's certain cities you can go to. I could take you to the city of Oxford. And there, right in the middle of the city, there's a white cross on the ground. Right on the main street, outside one of the colleges in Oxford, near the main shopping street, there's a white cross on the ground, signifying the place where Ridley, Latimer, and Cramner were burned to death, right in the middle of the city. As a spectacle, don't defy the church, or you will die too. Today on the, on the news, you watch ISIS going around, chopping people's heads off in the Middle East. Terrible. But if you compared the number of people who have had their heads chopped off to the number of people who have died by gunfire, it's probably vastly different in numbers. But the beheadings is so ghastly, it's so raw, that it strikes fear into the heart of the people when they hear ISIS is coming to the town. Fear is a great motivator of people, unfortunately. But the cross, which struck fear into the heart of the Jews, was not there in the middle of the city. Jesus must not die in a commotion in the midst of the city. He must die outside the city. And so the Romans had a place of execution outside the city limits. That by dying outside, Jesus might be our sin offering. Let me ask you a question. Who was outside the city? If you had gone to the great camp of Israel there in the Old Testament, who was outside the camp of Israel? You would have seen the, the, the standard of Dan, the standard of Judah, the standard of Reuben there in the camp of Israel. But who was outside? If you had looked far into the distance, you would have seen some wretched huts in the distance. And if you had asked someone, who is living in those huts out there? The answer would have come back to you, in those huts out there, that is the unclean. That is the lepers. They're out side the camp for they cannot come in and if you had wandered your way out through the, 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 the tents and you had gone outside the camp and as you wandered round outside the camp somewhere sooner or later you would have heard the cry coming out unclean 
unclean, unclean. For the leper's responsibility was to warn you that you did not come close to their presence, lest even the wind should blow and you would catch the leprosy through the wind. If you'd gone closer, if you could see closer, you would see the leper, not with a nice red, ruddy lips that you have today, but there above his teeth would be a white line where the lips had been, the lips had been eroded away, so to speak. And as you got closer, they would cover their mouth with a cloth or a hand and say, unclean, unclean, unclean again. For they did not want you to come there into his presence. It was a deadly disease, a contagious disease. Of whom is the leper a type? The leper is a type of you and I in our natural state. Without Jesus Christ, we are like the leper, sinful Miserable, unjustified. Jesus died outside the camp that he might sanctify us. Follow me now, picture the scene. Use your righteous imagination. Your what imagination? Your righteous imagination. Picture the scene, if you will. You know what? You will not find this written in the pages of Scripture. But picture the scene, if you will. There is a leper outside the camp. He cannot mingle with the others. He is not allowed inside to the camp. And as he's out there outside the camp, there are certain things they couldn't do. If they came to a stream, you know, probably likely they weren't allowed to drink from the stream lest they contaminate the water and people further on would catch leprosy. So maybe, just maybe, if they want to get a drink of water, they find a puddle, stagnant, dirty water, and there they sip from the stagnant, dirty water. If their own father comes outside the city, they have to run and go away from him. If the man's wife came outside the city, she as the wife would have to shun her husband lest she catch the leprous disease. And as this leper is walking along outside the camp, he walks along and he goes round some big boulders there in the desert. And as he walks round the boulders in the desert, there he sees just not too far away a cross. Lifting up on the cross, there is one dying on it, and he stops. Now he knows he's not allowed into the presence of any living person. He has to warn them that he is coming, but he thinks to himself, this man is dying. Surely, surely he can approach a dying man, for a man who's dying cannot die twice. And so slowly, carefully, he walks toward the man hanging on the cross, timidly at first, but as he gets closer, he notices that on the cross, the one who is there is still alive, craving some human company. Even if it is a dying man, he gets closer and closer. And as he stands there finally under the cross and he looks up, the face looking down at him is a face of love, compassion, tenderness, mercy, and goodness looking down at him. Wilt thou be made whole? Joy fills his heart. He is outside the city. He is unclean. But here, outside the city, he finds one dying on a cross. This man spoke to him, not any old words, but words of life. Encouragement and joy fills his heart. He has been cleansed. This morning, look to Jesus. He died outside the camp where the poor, unclean sinners 
like you and I might find him. The leper would never have been allowed inside the city, only outside. But as one man was dying, figuratively speaking, he gave life to another, the beauty of salvation. This is the first lesson this morning from the text. Jesus died outside the camp because that's where we are before we accept Christ into our life. The leper is a type of us in our unconverted state where we need Jesus outside the camp. But the text says, in order that Jesus might sanctify us through his blood. You see, this comes a little closer. Now you may say, oh, that was a nice word picture that you just said. That was interesting, but I accepted Christ into my heart 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 2 years ago, 3 decades ago is when I accepted Christ into my heart. And I can't quite resonate necessarily with that experience. But you see, sanctification is the work of a lifetime. It's a school from which you never graduate from. It's something that happens every week, every moment. How many of you can resonate with this? You know the feeling where you've accepted Christ into your heart. And as you're going along your Christian journey, some evil propensity comes back to life that you thought had gone. And you feel in that moment, in that moment you feel as though you couldn't come before God again. You feel like you've lost his presence. You slipped again, and you knew you shouldn't slip up. You prayed about the very thing, but you still slipped up and went into sin. And the same old feeling of sin and guilt and filthiness comes back to you. You feel like you can't meet God. You can't go into his presence. You feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You open your Bible to read it, and it seems like God just is just dry. Your religious experience has dried up. There have been times when I have gone to church knowing what I might be struggling with. And while serving God, I may feel there in the presence of other believers as if I am the most unclean of everyone there. Outside the camp. How many times have you maybe been to camp meeting, had that spiritual high, and on the way back home, you're right back to where you were one week previous? How is it going to be for you on Monday morning when there is no GYC devotion to come to? How will it be on Tuesday morning when you're back home and you don't have two, three thousand Adventists around you anymore? It's just you and your Bible and Audioverse and 3ABN. How will it be you know what it's like to go to Bible camp and on the way home, you load those same web pages you said you would never load again. You go to church on Sabbath, maybe, and that very night you are somewhere where you should not be. How many of you know the experience to preach a sermon, to teach a Sabbath school class, to be there in some important meeting in church or planning the next greatest thing to hit the Adventist church? And when you get back home with your wife, your husband, your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, you fly into a rage at the slightest provocation. And you feel outside the camp. Sometimes you wonder why it's easy to be a Christian here, around Christians, than around your family. And you sometimes wish, if only I didn't have to see my family, I'd be ready for translation. (laughs) 
At this time, your faith is sluggish. Your hope is dull. Who here today in this esteemed gathering of Seventh-day Adventists, the largest annual gathering of Seventh-day Adventists on the top side of the earth, of Bible-believing Seventh-day Adventists, who is there here who has not been put outside the camp? Who is there here? Maybe today you feel you're outside the camp, physically inside, but spiritually outside. Through the actions, the thoughts, the motives of your heart, you feel outside the camp. In the process of sanctification, I believe God puts us outside the camp where our sin needs to be forgiven and our sin needs to be cleansed. It doesn't matter what titles we hold. It doesn't matter who we are, what position we have in the church. The process of sanctification in our lives is a real process. But don't miss the point. When we are outside the gate because we have sinned, when we're outside the gate because we have sinned, remember that Jesus died outside the gate that he might sanctify us with his own blood. He's not there with us in our action. Amen. He is there to cleanse us when we come to him. Jesus himself shut himself out. He was despised and rejected of men. He was outside the gate. No matter who you are today, no matter where you come from, no matter how many times you've gone in and out, back and forth from the city, today, today the call is if you're outside the camp, Jesus says, come back in, come to me, come to me. For Jesus died outside the gate, that in the process of sanctification, he can cleanse us and give us power. It's not something you and I should struggle with on our own, getting ourselves in a fit condition before we come back to God. That's often how we feel. I've slipped, I've gone away from God, I've got to clean myself up and then come back to him. When we're there outside the gate, Jesus is there to sanctify us. He died outside the gate that he might sanctify us and give us power and cleanse us each time we come back to him. The problem is, though, all too often when we're outside, we think we're too far from God. We're too far. You know, in the process of sanctification, Jesus deals with us. He brings different points to our character. First Testimony, page 187 says, At every advanced point, the heart is tested and tried a little closer. Some are willing to receive one point, but when God brings them to another testing point, they shrink from it and stand back because they find it strikes directly at some cherished idol. The process, what God does with us, he brings us and he shows us our heart, what we're cherishing. And sometimes we may overcome and surrender, but sometimes we don't, and we cling onto it. And in the process of clinging onto it, we're outside. No matter when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior into our heart, we must go through the process of justification, forgiveness, pardon, opening the heart to God, and sanctification, the daily, moment-by-moment moment cleansing of the heart. Jesus died outside the gate to give us hope in justification, but also to be there throughout our sanctification. After we've surrendered our hearts to Jesus, the struggle continues. The struggle is real. And as we're married to Jesus Christ, we see ourselves in ways that we would never see ourselves before. I recently got married 14 months ago. Amen. Amen. Marriage is a beautiful thing. But marriage also shows you things about yourself that you never knew were there. You never thought they were there. There's certain aspects of my character that my wife will tell me that I have. And I'm like, no way. No way. 
Now, not necessarily, maybe you say this is sinful, maybe you say it's not sinful, but my wife has told me since we got married, I always thought my yay was yay and my nay was nay. My wife is like, "Uh uh-uh. You exaggerate all the time. All the time. I don't know. I'm an evangelist. We like to play with numbers. I don't know. You exaggerate all the time. When we're married to Christ, we see ourselves in a way that we have never seen ourselves before. And Christ shows us who we are. But the beauty is we have, a, we have a Savior who suffered outside the gate. We have a high priest who knows how we feel. Amen? He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. I am glad that today we have a high priest, the one who is in heaven, who has walked in my shoes, has walked in your shoes, knows my struggles, knows your struggles, knows what it is like to live on earth as a man. Forever he will share an affinity with us because he died on Calvary outside the camp. When Jesus came down here to earth, he took upon himself a humanity that he forever retains. He died as a man to give us an example that we can also overcome as he overcame. He came to this earth not just to provide the payment for the penalty of sin, but to give us an example of how to overcome through the power of God. He shares an affinity with us that cannot be broken. You know, I read there's, a, uh, there's an army in the world called the French Foreign Legion. It's a unique fighting unit because they've been around for over 100 years it, uh, or, or more than that. They're made up entirely, except for the officers, of foreigners, but they fight for France. They have a pretty uh, a high amount of respect in military circles, and they maintain a high standard of excellence in their ranks. Traditionally, some would say romantically, it was a hiding place for criminals and undesirables because they could join this army and and go and fight in a foreign country. And if they served long enough, they could become a citizen of France. But there was another way they could get citizenship, and that was if they were wounded or suffered an injury in battle. They have a phrase in the French Foreign Legion that says this, Francais, parle au sang versé. Francais, parle au sang versé. Translated into English is French by spilled blood. If you spilled blood in battle, automatically you became a citizen of France. Jesus spilled his blood outside the gate. Forever able to relate to, understand, and empathize, and compassionately judge mankind. Because he shares an inseparable bond with us due to the blood he shed while he was outside the gate. This morning, you have a high priest, a savior who knows exactly what your struggle this morning is. He knows exactly what sin you're grappling with. What sin has put you outside of the camp? He knows exactly what it is in your heart. Different for every single one of us individually. He knows the struggle that you face this morning. He knows the struggle that is awaiting you come Monday morning when you go back home and you go back to your workplace and your boss is there who just winds you up like no one else can. That teacher, you've got to go to their class on Monday and that teacher does not like you and just seems to be able to get 
under your skin. He knows all of those individual situations in our lives. He knows them. He can understand and compassionately be with us. Jesus suffered outside the gate. Let us remember. Remember that. What are you struggling with today? What are you struggling with today? Now, there's another application that I want to uh, say briefly before we close of the verse, and that is this. And that sometimes, and another application, when you choose to follow Christ, when you choose to follow Christ, you feel like you are outside the gate of the world. What Christian is there that having given their heart to Jesus should not feel outside the gate of the world's camp? Can you be a true saint? sanctified, set apart for God, unless somehow the world views you as too strict, too austere, too something else. If your mannerisms and everything's like the world, you're not outside the gamp of the world. It could be though as well today, another application. Maybe you feel it's almost impossible to serve your master today without being shut out of the camp of some even in the church. I do not mean disfellowship for open sin. I mean something far different from this. Ellen White says to fight the battles of the Lord when the champions are few. This will be our test. The church has become so lax today, so incoherent in doctrine, so trifling in experience, and so unholy in lifestyle that to be a Christian today can mean that you're outside the fellowship of the world and outside the fellowship of some in the church. How many times have you seen anger, pride, backslidden habits, lax Sabbath-keeping, disregarding the pillars of Christianity, let alone Adventism? Today, if you believe in the six-day creation, you're outside the camp of the world, you're outside the camp of Christianity, and in some circles, outside those in our church too. If you believe that on the Sabbath you shouldn't buy and sell, you should not go to restaurants to eat on Sabbath, that can put you outside the camp of some in our church. If you believe that the spirit of prophecy is the inspired revelation from God, it can put you outside the camp in some circles today. Anytime you dare to be too bold, too honest for the average Adventist, maybe you will be maligned. Don't seek it, don't look for it. But if it comes, remember, Jesus went there before. He went there before. we come to a close, we are naturally outside the gate in our unconverted state. Jesus wants us back in to come to Him, to the cross. But even after we have accepted Jesus and we're living with Him, we have this struggle of sanctification and sometimes it puts us outside the gate. Remember when you are out there, whatever you may be struggling with, Jesus is there with you outside the gate. He died outside the gate. I mean, He is right there willing and ready to accept you when you come to Him. Remember the text in the Bible where it says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. This morning, what is it that you are struggling with? What sin is holding you? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it lack of forgiveness? Is it arrogance? Is it pride? What are you struggling with today? Don't struggle alone. Know that outside the gate, Jesus died so that you can be sanctified. So that you can be made whole.
This morning as we close, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads. May every head be bowed and every eye be closed. Father in heaven, as we come to a close today, as we recognize your word that gives us the encouragement that you died outside the camp where we are. Lord, we come to you with bowed heads, humble hearts. And Lord, this morning, if there be anyone here, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to God. That in the silence of this moment, what the Holy Spirit has convicted on your heart, that secret sin that you may be even planning to do come Monday, Tuesday. Or maybe it's going to sideswipe you and catch you unaware. Whatever it might be, that secret sin, that one that holds you down, that attitude that you may have that is destroying you spiritually, if the Lord is convicting you at this moment and you just want to say in the silence of this moment to you and God, Lord, take that from me. I just want to invite you at this time to raise your hand to heaven. To raise your hand, to raise it high. God sees the hand. He reads the heart. Lord, you know your children. You know the struggles that we face. And we thank you, Lord, that you came down, lived on this earth, and that you forever share an affinity with us through the blood you spilled outside the gate. Lord, bless us. Bless the decisions that have been made today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at the cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.